Welcome to Beauty 4.0, Decoding the Business of Beauty, a podcast by Cosmetic Design. We take you inside for a close-up of the innovations and innovators behind the beauty and personal care industry and find out just how they are shaping its future. On this episode, I chat with Belinda Carley, the director of the Institute of Personal Care Science, on the key trends she's observing that could significantly influence the future of the market. So most recently on your YouTube channel, which produces very helpful content, by the way, everyone should go check it out. It's called the Institute of Personal Care Science. Just that, right, Belinda? Yes, it is. Thank you. And we have also um, reached over 100,000 subscribers too, wow, so it's a really exciting time for us. get your little YouTube button? We've already got it. Yes, we've got it. We've received that already. Um, we put some uh, pictures up on our social media so you can see me standing there with the award. So that was quite a proud moment for us. And thank you to all the, the viewers because a channel is nothing if it doesn't get watched. So thank you very much to everyone who does subscribe and watch our channel. It, actually, what is it made of? I was curious. Is it, like re- is it really metal or is it plastic? No, it's metal. It's metal. Oh, it's wow. really good quality. Uh, it even came with some quality notes um, about it and who packed it. And, of course, my kids grabbed it and put it on their socials as if pretending <laughs> that they got their 100,000 subscribers. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, good for them then. Um, well, yes, yeah, so in your, on your YouTube channel, you, you recently put out this video about the trends that you are looking forward to in 2023. And, you know, one of them, one of the most important being gender neutral and in- inclusive skincare, right? So let's Absolutely. just get this out of the way immediately. Are there any skin differences between the genders? Oh, there definitely is. Uh, and when you're formulating gender neutral skincare, you need to keep this in mind. So one of the issues you have is uh, regardless of how someone identifies, their skin will actually behave based on their biologically assigned gender at birth. So this means if someone was assigned to the gender of female at birth, their body will have hormones that uh, are biologically going to impact their skin in a female way, um, particularly with menstrual cycle or menopause. And and just in general, um, female hormones will make the skin age quite dramatically after menopause happens at age of 50. These are just some generalizations that unless you're taking medication to alter your hormones, then your body and your skin will have those hormones, uh, those those female type hormones, regardless of how you identify. Now, of course, if you're taking medication, that will alter it. So if you were taking a lot of testosterone medications, then your skin would uh, respond and have more male identified skin type issues uh, and that includes you know extra sebum extra oiliness um, a tendency to more acne um, it will tend to stop the thinning of the skin so again if you were assigned a female gender at birth but identify as male and you're taking hormones um, to to increase testosterone then you'll find that your skin won't thin like it would if you weren't taking those hormones. So you won't have the same sort of aging issues that you would if you weren't taking the testosterone. Similarly, if you were assigned a male gender at birth, but you're taking estrogen, your skin will then be impacted um, and, and, and show more estrogen-related effects. If you're not taking medication, of course, then your skin is going to behave more the way that your gender was assigned at birth. Uh, so again, it, it definitely has, there are significant differences um, based on gender uh, alone that 
you need to accommodate regardless of how you identify and of course could also be impacted by taking medication. Right, so how do we approach formulating for both genders then if there are so much differences as you say? Yeah, look, the most important things that need to be addressed, number one is aroma. And I've got to say that with gender neutral um, skincare, gender neutral perfumes, this whole new area of skincare being uh, opened up, it's really hard to define, well, what is a gender neutral fragrance? Uh, it's also hard for companies to develop that. So it's a really exciting area too for companies that do master this. Um, mm -hmm. Also, you know, look out for... Uh, where development, research and development might happen here, market research to also help define, well, what is a gender neutral fragrance? So that's one thing. You have to make sure that the product is going to appeal to mm. the person that you're marketing the product to. Um, then the next big issue that needs to be overcome is how the product gets marketed. So again, let's let's say um, we were creating a skin cream. Um, let's just say a 35-year-old woman or a 35-year-old person that was assigned a female gender at birth that's not taking testosterone medications but now identifies as male. That person will still need to address their skincare uh, as a 35-year-old person who would be assigned a female gender at birth, which means that they'll, they'll start to need, um, particularly with Caucasian skin, that's when the first signs of ageing start to happen. Um, Amanda, you're, you're lucky you're Asian, you've got that beautiful skin, you're not going to show ageing anywhere near as early as, as a Caucasian person like myself would. Um, but I'm picking this age group because this is definitely where we're starting to see that, that inclusive skincare really, uh, the differences really start to matter. Mm. Um, so this person will then need to address the, the early signs of aging, for example, because it is going to happen because of their, their hormones. Um, but in marketing that product, we don't want to market the product or have a really feminine aroma because it's just not going to appeal to that person. Um, they're also not going to want to address their anti-aging with the same sort of emphasis or reasons that a person who would normally identify as female would. So it, it's in the marketing story. It's how do you appeal to this person? How do you let them know we're caring about your skin and giving you a product that you want that also includes you wanting to identify as gender neutral or however you want to identify? We, we don't want to. We don't want to put you in a box, but we know that your skin still needs certain things. Mm. Um, so that's very much about the aroma and the marketing because ultimately if they're not taking medication, their body's still going to respond in a way, the way that they were um, assigned their gender yeah. at birth. Yes, I see that, that that kind of conversation, that kind of message can be quite delicate to translate as well, right, to communicate. Oh, definitely. Mm. And, you know, um, again, look, it's it's really hard because everyone's an individual and I certainly don't want to pretend that we can just put people in a box like yeah. we can a jar of cream. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but it, there's key things like, you know, that person doesn't want to have a, a very florally scented product. They don't want to be nailed into purchasing a product in a pink jar or a pink box, you know, so we need to approach it in a way that makes them understand that while we're addressing your skin needs, we recognise that you don't want to be, you know, stereotyped. You're not comfortable with that. Let's not do that. Let's give you a product you want without making you feel like you have to identify as, as one thing or another. Um, so it's very much in the way it's, it's presented, the way it's marketed and letting them know that we're addressing your skin needs without 
needing to put you into a, a certain category, you know, mm. um, and and that way we're we're including your your need to be recognised as an individual and who you are. Yes, definitely. And in terms of like uh, the formula itself, right? Is there a, a difference in the way you have to formulate? Like, is there like a like I'm just is there a specific you know a kind of formulation that's good for uh, more better for a female and a better for a male? Is there such thing? Oh, definitely, definitely. You do need to create formulas. Um, again, where someone's not taking medication, there are significant skin differences between what we would normally formulate for male skincare and female skincare. Mm. Um, definitely, so many differences between the skin types. So that is why creating the formula and then marketing the formula in a way that's not going to well, that's going to address the inclusivity issue um, is really important. Right. Correct. That that is quite that's quite tricky. There's no one size fits all. No, and actually, it, it even goes beyond gender. Um, hmm. You know, it even goes into inclusivity. Age, uh, yeah. oh, age yeah. the whole new, the whole new way of approaching age, and also the the way of including uh, different skin types based on ethnicity hmm. and race. Exactly. Um, you know, it's the same sort of approach. We don't want to you know, railroad or stereotype anyone, we want to let them know, you know, brands need to make sure that they're letting people know we're going to address your skin or your hair needs based on what your skin or hair needs <laughs> without necessarily making you feel like, you know, you have to have a, a, you know, a pink box if you're a girl or something like that. We don't, we don't want to do that anymore. Um, and we don't, we don't want to say, oh, well, look, you know, a foundation only matters for people with pale skin because that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. it, it matters to everyone who wants to have a more even skin tone, um, regardless of gender, regardless of race. So that's, that to me, I think that the, um, the whole gender neutral inclusive skincare, definitely gender neutrality has made it very, increase the awareness of it but to me I like the approach that you know we're talking about inclusive skincare not just gender neutral we're, we're now including other ethnicities other other races other skin types other skin conditions other need, hair as well oh my goodness there's a whole new ball game there as well <laughs> so the next trend you see is customization so how does this relate to inclusivity you know is it actually a paradox well it actually works really well if a brand can master both because customization we've seen this increase um in uh well, increase in trending and popularity over the recent years i've, I've produced several videos on customization um and clever brands that can actually tap into both, and again, not just the gender neutral aspects, but also different ethnicities as well. Um, that that would be a huge trend moving forward, um, and something that will be very resonate very well with consumers and make it a very popular product. So, customization, personalization, none of this is new, as you mentioned. So, is the reason why you've you've brought it up um, because it goes well with this trend of inclusivity? Oh. Definitely, but also um, we're definitely seeing with the younger generations as they come through, the millennials, um, as they start to get more and more consumer purchasing power, um, and we don't just see it in skincare, we see it everywhere, they want products that suit them. Um, and, you know, more and more brands are accommodating individual requests and individual needs, so you've got to do it, you've got to adapt. You, we, again, we can't just put people in a box because no one fits that box. Not not everyone fits that box. You know, you might get a few people that are comfortable in that box, but you get a vast majority that go, I don't want to be put, I don't be stereotyped, I don't want to be put in a box. I want my individual skin or hair needs addressed. And that's regardless of 
how you identify or, you know, um, your, your biology from your parents and their race and their culture. Everyone wants to have that validation that their needs are being met. Some brands must be intimidated by the idea of creating customized products for the consumers. You know, what are some more uh, accessible ways that they can tap into this trend, you think? Well, one of the things that has been done um, that we've already seen and definitely can be developed further is a base product with either boosters or I've just recently put out a video where it's a color changing foundation. So it's a foundation base and then people can actually blend and mix. And I've got to say, you know, that concept um, works really, really well because, you know, how many times have you gone to purchase a foundation where you're kind of in between shades, you know? Always. Forever. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that is one example. And, and, of course, you can have actives where you have a base um, that already has some, uh, like a cosmeceutical product that already has some key actives in the base that are, are good for everyone's skin. Uh, and then you can add extra actives when you want to boost an anti-aging aspect or a whitening aspect. That's one thing that's been done quite well, um, but definitely could be done more so. Um, mm. Also, there's dial-up packaging. Have you ever seen that packaging where you can type, turn the lid and you kind of get more of one thing or less oh, of another. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, oh, so again, that yeah, can be yeah. really good. Um, and, I mean, you know, it's it's little things even like that. And, again, it's not just about being inclusive. I mean, how many times oh, – I know here in Australia that my skin is is darker just because of sun exposure in summer, so I need mm. to change my foundation in summer. And then in winter, you know, I still use my sunscreen and everything, but it's impossible to avoid the sun completely, and I need a darker foundation in summer, and a lighter one in winter. And that's that's not just me. That's – all over the world, Everybody. people mm-hmm. feel like that, you know. Um, it also, you know, for male skincare, male grooming, or those um, who were assigned a male gender at birth but now want to identify more female, you know, they need products that will actually help address. Um, and even for foundations for those skin types, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a huge area. And, again, it's got huge potential. Well, one of the major trends that you have highlighted is sustainability mm-hmm. with a particular emphasis on conscious beauty. Mm. Right. Maybe we could elaborate a bit more about what is conscious, be- conscious beauty for people who don't know. Sure. Well, I, I like that term. Um, I, I know that others yeah, use too. it. Um, I particularly like it because in the past we've seen so many fear campaigns. We've seen so many consumers scared to use one thing or another or we've we've seen, and I've got to say, I don't like the clean beauty um, term simply because it's so ambiguous. Um, I'm not I'm not having a go at anyone who's used that. It's just difficult because if you ask one brand what they mean by clean beauty and you ask another brand what they mean by clean beauty, mm. it could be two totally different ingredient lists. It could be two totally yeah. different meanings. So it's very confusing for a consumer, and that that's what I really don't like about it. I'm not I'm not talking about the actual concept. I just it's confusing. What I like about conscious beauty and that term is that everybody can understand that brand is then being conscious and that brand can then use the conscious beauty and and clarify or validate their claim. What are they being conscious about? Are they being conscious about their sourcing and and tracing it? Are they being conscious about the packaging they're using to ensure it's fully recyclable or it may have been sourced to be more sustainable? Are they being conscious about their ingredients? Are they being conscious about their consumer needs? The term itself mm. can then be used by brands to cover multiple things and saying conscious beauty can also make sure that the consumer knows that that brand is very conscious about what they've used in that product for a reason and tell the 
tell the consumer that reason. So it it just removes some of that confusion, some of that right. ambiguity. It gives brands yeah. an opportunity to say, hey, we really care. We're conscious about dot, dot, dot. Yes, we are responsible. We're taking accountability. That's what, what, what it yeah. represents, right? Yeah. So when it comes to sustainability, I mean, we've been really focused on packaging, mm-hmm. right? Um, do you think we will see more uh, focus regarding in- ingredients now? Oh, it- definitely, definitely. Um, I think with packaging we we say we've been focused on it but again it's been easy to define you can easily yes, define exactly. uh, and then of course there's all these standards about the recycling logo and, and things like that mm-hmm. so because it can be defined we're aware mm-hmm. of it with ingredients you know again there's been this confusion what's okay what's not okay what's sustainable what's not what about the carbon footprint how does that impact it you know so Definitely, we're going to see this moving in the right direction. There is the Eco Beauty Score Consortium that's being put together by, oh, I think at last count it was about 27 brands. There's some really big brands like your L'Oreal and your Unilever. There's um, smaller brands on board. Um, when that, um, that that Eco Beauty Score Consortium will come out with some standards industry can use, um, can choose to adopt. Once that's done, we're going to have some really clear directions moving forward. But in the meantime, there's still some great things that brands can do that um, are really easy to show the consumer how you're being um, conscious of sustainability, like upcycled ingredients, um, improved carbon footprints and and stating that. Um, But definitely, when we've got that scoring system from the Eco Beauty Score, I think that will really help bring a more level playing field to the term sustainability too. What about formulation trends? You know, are we, for instance, do you see, you know, more demand for solid formats continuing? Yes. Yeah, definitely. I do like where that is going, but there's there's a few difficulties with formulating and communicating to consumers, which I think has slowed down the progress. When you think about it, if someone is, uh, or if a company is shipping some shampoo, for example, you are typically shipping 70% or more of that product as water. Mm-hmm. So it's very expensive. And if we're talking about the carbon footprint and you're shipping from one country to another, that carbon footprint is is quite significant just because of the weight. So if you can remove the water from... Now, it's not to say that that water is not important. It's important for delivery of, yes. of the product. And it's the way that consumers are so used to always having their products as creams or as, you know, as, as liquid shampoos, for example. But... Definitely consumers want, I was actually just reading a a Mintel report this morning, it's over 40% of consumers want to see labelling on their packaging to explain how a product is more sustainable or or eco-conscious. And of course, the solid format, you can do this very easily because it's a, you know, it's a full concentrated product. But some of the issues that we've faced definitely in the formulation of these products when you remove the water from a product, obviously it starts to become solid, but you've then got to think, well, how does a consumer then reconstitute this mm, product correct. to use it? Yeah. Uh, so it can be different. It can feel different on application, even though the performance might be there or the initial application and performance may not be the same sensory that they're expecting or they're used to. So there's a couple of those issues that you need to formulate around and it can be tricky. Um, there's also the issue of cost. Obviously, water is one of the cheapest ingredients you can put into a product. So if you start to remove that, you end up with a much smaller product that invariably costs the same as, you know, I might have a shampoo bar that is about 50 grams compared to a shampoo bottle that's 500 ml, mm-hmm. and they end up costing the same. And sometimes to a consumer, 
that doesn't quite equate. How come? How come? And, and in truth, you could possibly have more uses out of that little 50-gram shampoo bar. But how do you communicate this with a consumer? How do you show them? Cost per use is a good way of yeah. demonstrating um, mm-hmm. that they're getting their value. But definitely there is that perception. It's perception that needs to be overcome. Um, and, of course, if there's any differences in in sensory or performance they should be explained too so the consumer knows that hey the the overall performance of this product's not impacted it's just going to feel a little different when i first put it on um and of course clear directions for use otherwise you don't want them overusing it one of the things i've seen um recently which again i like is concentrated um foaming products for example um but consumers still use a full pump That is actually a really good point because like people will interpret how they should use a product differently, right? If you have a little powder, you have a little powder that you have to, you know, add some water and foam up. Some people just put the water on the the powder on their hand and just let it foam up in the shower. It's just not gonna work the same. Exactly, exactly, and that's that's again they're the issues. If a brand can overcome those things, then definitely you're going to have a really happy consumer because you're really achieving some of those sustainability messages as well. Mm, yeah. and, and in line with sustainability, you also mentioned refillables. They're going to be, continue to become a, yes. it's going to be a hot ticket. You know, uh, We're seeing a lot more innovation from packaging suppliers in the space. And with the consumer demand, it, I think it's going to be odd not to have a refillable option as a brand moving forward. Oh, look, again, another great area. Um, one of the easiest ways to make sure you've got to be careful of contamination. Yes. This is this is the issue. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that's just is refillable pods. So it's basically a pod that minimizes packaging. So you would you would buy your original packaging, which would be say a, a recyclable plastic jar, of course, uh, and that will have space for the pod. And then the pod can be put in with just a removable, uh, hopefully recyclable foil seal. Um, that's easy. Then, then there is there is minimal contact with the consumer while they're refilling. Mm. That's fine. Um, when we start to see refillable stations, yes. look again. This would make mm-hmm. it really easy. But the problem you have is, what if the consumer doesn't wash out their packaging properly? What if they don't dry it thoroughly? What if it's not left in a a, a clean environment to air dry? What if they use a dirty cloth to clean it? And then if there's contamination in the product, you know, these are things we can't over-preserve a product to try and overcome consumer misuse because, you know, preservatives have strict regulatory limits for for safety um, reasons, safety and regulatory reasons. So, yeah, using ways that minimise consumer contact uh, are ways to minimise a potential contamination risk. Uh, and again, when, when clever brands overcome that, we'll see leaps and bounds moving forward because consumers don't want to be paying constantly for pretty packaging. They want to pay for product uh, and and having refillable options that that show a consumer, hey, you're just paying for this this pod and the product. You know, that again, it appeals to a consumer. You know, everything's become so expensive. Cost of living's risen. So where a consumer can see value, uh, that's really going to appeal to them as well as sustainability. Mm-hmm. You know, these are messages that are important. Yeah. To your point about contamination, and yes, we're seeing more and more refill stations. Like a lot of brands are like starting with that as they you know move on with their sustainability journey. Can you suggest any good practices for them? Yeah, look at your packaging. Really mm. look at the packaging. Um, and and uh, how is a consumer going to clean it without risking you know residual water or residual product or residual contamination from their environment? Um, consider also the cap. 
that goes onto it? How are you then going to minimise consumer contact after it's been refilled, which will then also reduce future contamination risk? Um, so definitely looking at those things, clear instructions on how to clean and, and make sure it's clean before it's refilled, um, making sure that the lid or other uh, packaging is going to give a really tight, um, reduced consumer contact uh, time. That would also help. Uh, and, and yeah, clear, clear instructions and some of those packaging tips. So far, we've got gender neutral beauty, uh, customization, conscious beauty, uh, refillable packaging. And the last trend you're keeping an eye on is visible results. Visible results. Yes. Yeah. Look, this one's always been there. <laughs> yes, exactly. So be, I mean, because we love definitions so much, you know, could you maybe, what do we mean by that when we say visible results? Sure. Well, okay. You've got so many brands out there promising so many things and you've got a consumer that has so many options now. Yep. If they can see or feel that the product is working within the first couple of uses, they'll keep using it. So when you're using some of your cosmeceutical actives, that you know, a lot of them aren't going to work in two days. A lot of your cosmeceutical actives need, you know, anti-acne actives are probably the fastest acting. They, they still need, you know, five, six, seven days to mm -hmm. start to get results. Your anti-aging actives, you know, some of them need at least 14 days, usually 28 days until you start to see firming, lifting, smoothing. Um, and, and whitening results, again, you need you need that cell turnover to get the best results with whitening. And again, that can be, you know, easily 21, 28, even 56 days. Mm. So because the actives take that long to work, you need to keep your consumer brand loyal so they keep using your product. So you've got to give them something instant to make them go, hey, this product, I can feel this product working or I can see this product working so that they keep using it long enough to really see the big benefits so some of the ways you can do this is, again, like, you know, let's say whitening, for instance, you could have some soft focus or a slight pigment in there. Mm. Um, again, just so that someone sees a more luminous reflection after they've used it. With an anti-aging, you can use some instant firming ingredients. You know, and again, these ingredients don't have any lasting effect. They, they get washed off. But if the consumer is feeling a difference or seeing a difference while the stronger actives are working, you know, in the background over time, the consumer will use the product long enough to, makes to get those longer, yeah. bigger benefits. So there's a couple of ways there. You can also look at some sensory aspects, you know, make the product um, feel really smooth on application or it could be cooling or it could have a soothing effect. Um, that's really good for people, say, in an anti-acne product. Um, so just really think about what is your consumer wanting from this product? Obviously, use actives that are going to achieve that long term, but what's going to make them happy? right now right uh and and you'll also see that then they tend to post it on social media or tell their friends or share yes. it and that's also great for a brand too yeah yeah well of course you know like you said right it's not it's technically not new and consumers have always wanted their products to work but is there a reason you're highlighting this right now because you know i have speak i've been speaking to some people and they have actually highlighted the same thing and they suggest that the consumer maybe has less patience and they don't want to you know try so many products anymore is, is that what you're seeing oh Totally. Um, also, the rise, like, well, rise of social media. Oh my goodness! Uh, I don't even know if we could say rise. Rise it's, of it's TikTok. Here to stay. Rise it's, of it's, TikTok. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's exploded. Yeah. Um, and because of that, it is. It, that's such a visible or visual source, and, yeah. and you know, people have a voice, so people can say if they're not happy with something, or people will say if they're really happy with something. We're such um, you know, we're always looking at social media and posts, so people want to see something 
instant. They want that instant gratification. You pick up your phone, you've got instant access to your friends or your brands or what's happening in the world. And, you know, consumers are now wanting that from their products. And there's so much choice, so much choice. What is going to keep someone using your products long enough to really love them and stay brand loyal? And that's that's part of it too. Belinda, thank you so much for your time. This has really been great. I, not, the, not only did I learn a lot of new things, I, I loved catching up with you. Ah, thank you so much. Oh, look, it's always great talking about trends. Uh, I do get very excited about trends. Oh, me too. Um, <laughs> and yeah, another thing, a big tip for brands out there is to, to really start working on some fast formulation bases. And I've, I've looked at this in the past, but maybe it's something we can we can talk about in the future. Um, it because trends are moving so rapidly, um, you know, brands really need to understand fast formulation concepts um, so that they can keep up with innovations and give their consumers what they want in a much faster time frame. Normal developments are at least nine or 12 months and that's if everything goes right. Mm-hmm. And I've got to say, logistics is a nightmare around the world lately. Um, so things do get delayed. So having a faster approach to research to the whole research and development process is another thing that's going to really help brands move forward from 2023 and beyond. Wow, yeah, that's definitely a topic for another day, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) This has been Beauty 4.0, Decoding the Business of Beauty, a podcast by Cosmetics Design, bringing you the inside stories on the innovations and innovators behind the beauty industry.